You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas, and joining us, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, is your friend and mine, Ben Folks. Uh, ben, this week, in lieu of any real MMA news or happenings, we've decided to, uh, as we sometimes do, forego our normal three-round format and instead do a all-questions-considered uh, episode of the show where we take uh, nothing but questions from listeners and do those for the full hour, except that uh, about halfway through, we're going to have Sir Nigel Longstock come in and do a, a game of Master Tweet Theater. But other than that, it's going to be all listener mail all the time this week. I'm excited. I'm excited, too. That's It has the potential to be a wild and crazy event. Uh, before we get started on it, though, we do have uh, some particulars to deal with. We got uh, some lovely gifts in the mail this past week. Um, not only did we get some outstanding personalized beer steins, yeah. uh, I believe from uh, listener Ras Jarborg, uh, which are are outstanding. Yours has a a Latin some Latin. They, they well, well, let's just set the scene. There's family crests on both of them. They've got right. our, our last names on there. And uh, yours has some Latin. What does it say? Uh, the the Latin, uh, I believe it says "jure non dono," which I just googled real quickly. I'm it, sure that you nailed the the pronunciation. Sure, I did. Uh, and it appears to be some kind of uh, family motto, maybe for some ancient version of my family. Who knows? Or somebody who just has a name spelled similar to mine. Uh, I believe the Latin translates, according to what Google told me, as. Uh, uh, by right, not by gift, which is kind of awesome. That is totally awesome. That's that's uh, that's amazing. Yeah, I assume that we'll be hitting each other over the head with these things within the hour. Soon enough. Soon enough. We also got uh, some Turkish delight in the mail, uh, per our earlier discussion of Turkish delight. This came to us from James Hawkins, I believe. But we also had uh, listener Colleen Harmon say that she was going to send us some Turkish delight, uh, and I'm not sure if they are the same, the same Turkish delight or not. So, we, well, wow. That was my cat. That was Ch- well, now we've all heard Chad's cat. Uh, I got to tell you, I, uh, I'm interested in the Turkish Delight, but I'm also a little intimidated by it. I am too. We should, they're individually wrapped. We promised if somebody sent us this stuff, we would taste it on the, ma- on the, on the air. The one that I have says that it, uh, it advertises that it has 60% less fat than, I guess, than normal what? Turkish Delight. Okay. Um, uh, so we're going we're gonna to rip into these and, and see. They're covered with milk chocolate. These came from Australia, according to the, uh, to the wow. return address. Does, does, does Turkish Delight go bad? <laughs> I hope not. Um, All right, let's do this. Well, you know, it's not that bad. Huh. It's That's... just like uh, chocolate with uh, kind of a gummy berry-flavored yeah. center. You know, it had never occurred to me to uh, take a gummy type candy and put chocolate over it and now i'm starting to realize why sort of a revelation for me 
You can go ahead and leave your Turkish delight here. If that's uh, <laughs> well, if that's how you feel about it. I don't want to. I don't want to have to sit around and imagine you just wallowing in empty Turkish delight wrappers by the time your wife gets home from work and she's just appalled at the scene that that's created. Just got a terrible stomach ache. <laughs> uh, well, totally uh, ruined your dinner. I'm also sitting over here uh, drinking maybe the last of the Danny Downs beers that he sent us. I'm drinking a Modern Times saison, which I haven't tasted yet, but. I guess I'll use it to wash down my Turkish delight. Yeah. Uh, you've got the uh, Danny Boy Downs uh, I do. uh, beer guide over there. Why don't you read what he wrote about Modern Times Brewing, since I know that his descriptions garnered a lot of interest online. They did. Uh, Modern Times Brewing, according to uh, Danny Boy Downs, one of the young guns on the craft beer scene. They have a lot of hype behind them and are expected to produce some great things. Their early results have been impressive, but the jury is still out as to whether or not they'll have staying power. MMA equivalent? Want to take a guess? Uh, no. What is it? Conor McGregor. Oh, that's a good one. It is. God, he's right on. Right on yeah. the money. All right, well, let's get started with this uh, All Questions Considered uh, episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. Right after I remind you that the Co-Main Event Podcast is brought to you by GoDaddy.com. And right now, CME listeners can get exclusive deals from GoDaddy.com. You can get one new or transfer.com domain name for only $1.99 for the first year of registration with additional years for $9.99. Just visit their website and enter the promo code EVENT or click the GoDaddy banner from CoMainEvent.com uh, and you can event, enter event there anyway. So that's uh, GoDaddy.com and the promo code EVENT. Some limitations apply, so check GoDaddy for details. Uh, but let's get started here. The I'm first question. Turkish delight. Okay, I'll go ahead and do the tur- the first question while you swallow your second piece of Turkish delight. Uh, this one comes from handsome Pat Fannin. He writes, "How did it feel to hear the news of Dominic Cruz's groin injury and his subsequent vacating of the championship before or possibly during the recording of your podcast? This happened right before we went on the air. Dana White uh, uh, went on SportsCenter on ESPN News." And announced that uh, that Cruz unfortunately had been injured again, and so he's out of his scheduled fight with Henan Barrow. Henan Barrow, the monster, is now the uh, I guess official bantamweight champion, no longer the UFC interim bantamweight bantamweight champion. And Uriah Faber is going to step in for Dominic Cruz and have a rematch with Henan Barrow. Of course, he already lost to him once. Uh, this news was depressing. This was. Uh, some of the more depressing breaking news I've heard in a while, because obviously Dominic Cruz has had a ton of trouble with injuries. He's a super nice guy, a super talented fighter. Everyone wanted to see him come back and at least take a shot at uh, solidifying his position as bantamweight champion against Hendon Burrell, which I think we were also excited about because it was going to be a hell of a fight. Uh, right. And now it's off again. Uh, well, I had mixed feelings because, like you said, very depressing, especially for a guy like Dominic Cruz, who's a good dude. Um, but also a little part of me was like, all right, we got one in. We got the big breaking news happened before the CME this time. We no, can we, actually talk about it. We cut it close, especially when yeah. ESPN preempted Dana White to do some Tebow stuff for like 10 or 15 minutes there before they actually let him go on the air. Is it me or does it seem like uh, ESPN and the UFC, especially Dana White in particular, are kind of kind of buddies now after yeah. a long time of not really not really being so? And I'm just going to point out that it kind of coincides with ESPN no longer having Chad Dundas work for them. I, that's that's the only thing I can think because it's the only thing that's changed. Remember that? Well, they had him take over the ESPN Sports Center yeah. Twitter for UFC 168. Which when I saw that they announced those plans, I went, "No! <laughs> have you, have not you, seen have you ever seen his tweets?" Yeah, it is a little weird, especially since. Uh 
Fox Sports, as that deal with the UFC, is basically trying to position their nightly sports show right as like a sports center alternative. So it kind of made sense that ESPN wasn't really warming to the UFC when the UFC is in business with, I guess, their biggest competitor. Um, but now, uh, now Chad Dundas is no longer there as the fly in the ointment. Now we're all buddy buddy. Yeah. No. How about that? That Fox Sports Live is unwatchable. Have you ever tried to see that, sit through that thing? Only by accident. Oh, God, it's terrible. Like, it, it takes everything that I hate about sports on TV and magnifies it by 100%. It's all, it's nothing but people sitting in chairs or at tables, goofing off, acting like they're having a great time. That's the, It's the single worst thing about sports on TV. <laughs> you want everybody to be appropriately miserable? Yeah, I want everyone to act like professionals. <laughs> okay. so it's like every, ES, or, uh, every NFL show where the point of the show has to be how crazy it is. Everybody's, yes, yeah, come on, man. And, having just a, oh, and of course, they've got to have a oh, football that they toss around awful. like in, awful. in their chairs, right? All right. Well, the second question this week, Ben, why don't you take this one? This one comes from uh, Brady Carlson, uh, who asks, World Series of Fighting put the challenge out to Bellator to have their best fight each other. Do any of these matchups excite you? Has World Series of Fighting become the number two MMA promotion? Now, I, I assume you, you saw this. Uh, I think it was that uh, the World Series of Fighting guys went on the... Uh, the MMA three hours uh, show that Ariel Hawani does and had kind of their like their Excel spreadsheet showing how they think the matchups work. Have you taken a look at this? I didn't look at the spreadsheet. I didn't know about the the guy went on the MMA fortnight because I have a job. I don't have time to right, yeah. sit around and watch a 12 day long show. Uh, but I did see the tweet from World Series of Fighting where it seemed like they were kind of trying to shame and browbeat Bellator into this thing. Is that accurate? Yeah, that is, that that's exactly accurate. Uh, the, the interesting at the top of the card uh, is the uh, the light heavyweight super fight uh, between Tyrone Spong and uh, Rampage Jackson. What? what? Where's Manny Newton at? Is he on this card somewhere? Or? I don't I, I don't see him. Well, first of all, Rampage Jackson is the cruiserweight champ, so he yeah, have to come down from two ten or wherever he's weighing in these days. Yeah, I mean, if you want a piece of Rampage, you're gonna have to bulk up to cruiserweight. That's right. Man. He's not coming down to Tyrone Spong's area. Mm-hmm. Spong is going up to the cruiserweight division where the big boys play. You know, there are, like, some interesting matchups on here. I mean, I think that uh, a lot of them seem maybe tilted so that they favor World Series of Fighting, except for ones like uh, Justin Gaethje against uh, Michael Chandler. I mean, Chandler wins that. Uh, But, again, it's just kind of like, I guess, a a fun idea, but it does seem like uh, World Series of Fighting basically just fucking with Bellator, and I can't tell if it's an attempt to supplant Bellator as the number two to bring Bellator down to whatever the World Series of Fighting's level is, um, or just to just to distract them just with just meaningless jibber jabber over the internet. Because there's no way that, that something like this is good for Bellator. It's good for World Series of Fighting because, you know, like in politics, always attack up. Yeah. Uh, which seems like what they're doing here. As far as if are is World Series of Fighting legit number two, I would say World Series of Fighting does not have enough events really. No, yeah, Bellator is clearly still number two. In fact, when I first saw this tweet, I thought that somebody at the UFC obviously put World Series of Fighting up to this just as a distraction for Bellator. Uh, the real question would be, like, if they, let's say they showed up and did this pay-per-view and, and they made no mention of, of which company the fighters were from, could how many of them would you know? If they were like, you know, John Douglas versus well, Clark no, it's not like James. That. Like, I mean, who? I, we would know most of them. However, I, I wouldn't know. 
<laughs> you know what? I'd be way more interested in that, uh, you know, meaningless main event super fight than Rampage Jackson and Tito Ortiz. Well, yeah, no shit. At least you got one uh, relevant MMA fighter in that in that Tyrone Spawn and, versus Rampage yeah, Jackson. Yeah, and somebody who could then complain, like turn it around on Rampage and be the one to complain about him not being willing to stand to throw them bungalows. That's right. Uh, the next question this week comes to us from Kevin Thang. He writes, during a UFC Singapore press conference... <laughs> Oh, man. I almost want to stop right there. Uh, UFC executive Mark Fisher touched upon the idea of them having a Korea versus Japan themed UFC fight night event in the future. We saw the UFC go in this direction for UFC 58, Canada versus USA. And while unofficially, almost every UFC fight night card in Brazil has majority of their matchups being USA versus Brazil. Or just Brazil versus the world. Do I you guess. think it's a good idea for the UFC to go in the direction of these themed fight night cards? It may draw more attention for casual fans similar to when countries compete against each other in soccer, in addition to increasing the investment value for fans within those two competing countries. And why stop there? Why not take it up a notch and do a camp versus camp fight night a la the IFL? Uh, yet, I don't know, man. I wouldn't really be that fired up about a country versus country card, especially if it was Japan versus Korea, because, okay, but again, who would we even know who they were? Well, think about it, though, in the context of what this Singapore fight night card was. Would it be possible for them to do something that would make you less interested in it? Like, the only way it could go is up, basically. That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. I was going to save a lot of my venom for the UFC Singapore show and Fight Pass in general for what I assume will be the tidal wave of Fight Pass-related uh, listener mail questions that will probably come up later in the show. Did you watch the, the Singapore fight card? No. Hell no. Still well, haven't seen a single fight from it? No. Look no. at you. Look at yourself. Number one, I'm not signing up for Fight Pass. For really? Starters. That's that's how you're going to go at this? You're not even going to sign up for Fight Pass? You're not even going to get on there so you can see like I, Matt Hughes' Hall of Famers? I tried to sign Jill up. Sonnen's American Gangsters? I tried to sign up for the free preview, and then I got on there and realized they wanted me to put my credit card information in there anyway. Like they're going to do a thing where they f hope that you forget to cancel it. And yes. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. That's so exactly here's the thing, man. Do. I'll sign up for Fight Pass. Uh if there's stuff on Fight Pass that I want to watch. Right now, I'm not seeing it. So you're going to be kind of the barometer then. The way we'll know that Fight Pass has gotten uh, irresistible, like just a just an unstoppable force, is when Chad Dundas finally blows the dust off his, his credit card, gets out that Capital One bad boy, I know you keep deep in the wallet, and, and punches the numbers in and signs up for Fight Pass? That's right, and I've already told you when that'll be. I we talked about it when we first talked about Fight Pass. I will sign up for Fight Pass when I can get everything Every UFC live show on Fight Pass. It's the only thing that makes sense. Because the Fight Pass level broadcasts are not UFC level broadcasts. They're terrible. At least what we've seen how, so far. How do you know you haven't signed up for Fight Pass? Yeah, well, when I look at the thing and half the guys don't have Wikipedia pages and or pictures on the UFC website, the UFC didn't even have pictures of that's, half these that's guys. That's true. What about, though, uh, conveniently right after the Fight Pass goes from a free trial to a, now we want your damn money uh, in March... And it's like a week later is Alexander Gustafson and Jimmy Manoa. Well, I'm hoping that they come to their senses and put that on television and not just put it on the Internet. Because, I mean, we'll see. It's a catch-22 situation because I'm not going to sign up for Fight Pass while all of the fight cards are this terrible. And the worst thing the UFC could do is put good fight cards only on the Internet. Right? Because they're supposed to be on television. I can see where this is going. I'm going to be sitting at home watching that fight and you're going to be G-chatting me going, What's happening now? Okay, now what's happening? <laughs> It's possible. It's possible. Uh, all right, well, let's do the next one, Ben. What's the next question? The uh, next question comes from Carl Scotty Creek. 
Uh, do the defenses an interim champ wins become title defenses for his stats if he becomes the champion? Interesting question. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, I guess. Why not? Yeah, but I, then it's a weird kind of conditional thing because it's like, okay, we on, do we only then retroactively go back and count that as a real title defense if you eventually become the champion? Because we all know the interim title is not the title. We know that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so, like, if the guy then wins and becomes the champion, then does his previous interim championship experience become actual championship experience? Yeah, I don't know. You know what? I'm going to flip-flop. I'm going to say no. I don't think so. I think you got to be the champ before uh, before we start ch- counting your title defenses. Yeah, I agree. And it's just, I guess, the confusion around this is one more reason why interim championships are bullshit. Uh, the next question this week comes from Roger Crandy. He writes, is there such a thing as good corner advice between rounds? Is any advice really effective in any technical way, or is it all just motivational rhetoric? You know, I think some of it is good. I remember the, uh, well, actually, some of the, the weirdly enough, some of the, the like most high-profile good corner advice came from Tito Ortiz when he was a coach on that early season of The Ultimate Fighter. Remember where like three or four times Tito Ortiz told Matt Hamill's on there? Yeah, told his fighter to do something, and the guy went out and did it and immediately won the fight because of it. I remember that was like a, it was like a big, uh, almost a like a, a, a turning point for Tito Ortiz when you watched him. But he was opposite uh, Ken Shamrock on that season, right? That's right. And, uh, and, and Ken Shamrock's coaching ability was, shall we say, called into question. Yeah, and so the, it was like sort of like a uh, an about face for Tito Ortiz where you watched that season of The Ultimate Fighter and you were like, oh, holy shit, Tito Ortiz is actually kind of a good coach. Like, well, he knows think, what he's doing way better than Ken Shamrock. I think it's maybe like a false dichotomy to be like either it's effective technical advice or just meaningless motivational rhetoric. Um, because I think that you can kind of, there's a lot of space in between there. And we even saw it, uh, at UFC 168. I, I think it was, uh, the very first fight, uh, Robbie Peralta and Estevan Payan. And Peralta's losing that fight. Uh, and going into the third round, his corner in between the second and the third is sitting there telling him, all right, you got to knock this guy out. And they weren't really giving him a whole lot of like technical advice about how he should do it, but just making sure you understand like, look, you're not going to beat him on the ground. You're going to lose a decision if it goes to the judges. You just got to go out there and knock the dude out. And I remember we were kind of sitting there backstage uh, and watching that one on the, the screen back there in the media room and thinking about how that seemed like the Chad Dundas school of cornering, the Daryl punch him in the face Daryl. Uh, kind of, kind of advice, and then he went out there and he did it. He knocked him out, and then right. when he when he because my corner advice is highly effective. <laughs> when Robbie Peralta came back to talk to us, and we were asking him, like, was that helpful for them to say just like, go out there and knock the dude out? Because if that if it were that easy, you'd just do that to begin with and save yourself all this sweating and bleeding stuff. Uh, and he was like, yeah, actually, that was really helpful for me. They, they gave me, they let me know exactly what the situation is and what I needed to do. So I don't know. It seems like different fighters, different stuff works for them. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a fine line, I think, though, too, because remember the this past UFC 168, we saw uh, uh, Misha Tate go back to her corner after the first round, and and one of her corner men, it might even have been Brian Caraway, was like, "See, you made it out of the first round, right?" And at that point, everyone watching on television was like, "Oh, well, she's going to lose." <laughs> yeah. Uh- Good, especially I think it should go out to all cornermen now that the UFC, because of uh, on Fight Pass, you'll notice uh, if you actually sign up, unlike Chad Dundas, that when you go back and watch like event replays, um, you can do the thing where you listen to the audio from the blue corner or the red corner. So basically, if you're cornering a fighter in the UFC, act like somebody is listening to you at all times because they fucking are. And if you say something ridiculous, you're you're gonna be an internet joke pretty soon. You mean like don't say good, good, fuck him after Anderson Silva breaks his leg? Okay, you know what? About that, 
I was talking with some guys at Jiu-Jitsu about that because, I, you know, understandably everybody kind of jumped on that right away. I say there ought to be a moratorium. Like, you don't get to judge anybody for what they say immediately. Yeah. No, I was when, actually when – I, I was half joking and I understand – uh, Matt Sarah went on the MMA Fortnite today to explain himself and took credit for it, yeah. owned up to it. And so what well, we would have all assumed it was Ray Long. Well, I understand, like, he actually explained it pretty well. And, I, you know, I kind of understand you're out there. I don't think that he quite had, uh, uh, had mentally uh, processed the fact that Anderson Silva just shattered his leg. Right. And I think the only thing that he thought is that the guy he had been training to win this enormous rematch for months and months had, had done it. And so... He was happy and was probably still processing some of that false anger that a lot of guys have to like well up in their own minds to get motivated to, to go out and fight somebody else. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it looked very bad on the Internet. But when you understand like the heat of the moment and, and the guy in, in the corner and stuff like that, I don't you know, I didn't really think much of it. Yeah. Now, I mean, if you show up to the post fight press conference an hour later and like, well, uh, we all talked about it and we uh, considered the extent of the injury and we decided good. Fuck him. Uh, then then you're kind of an asshole. Yeah, but that's when uh, it starts to look ugly. Yeah. In in the heat of the moment, give the guy a break. All right, let's do the next one. Uh okay. This one is from Josh Mawney. Scenario. It is the far off future year of 2014. Wait, that's the year it is now. <laughs> the UFC is now a mainstream sport and the main topic on every sports broadcast worldwide. Who is the star that got it there? Well, Nate, do you think that Josh Money sent this in like 2006 and it was only delivered to the Kobe Event Podcast email today? Because our email address had not yet been created at the time? Or maybe he used like AOL or something and it just took... There you go. Like he was on Alta Vista and it just took six years, seven years to get here? Yeah. No. And, and you know what, though? this It's one of those things that does make you wonder. Like, Because there were probably... You know, it's like every once in a while when you get to a year where you're like, yeah, remember that science fiction movie they came up with in the 70s? This is the year that it was when they were flying around in, in flying cars and shit and invisible cloaks. And yeah, we don't really have any of that stuff. Like, it is kind of funny sometimes to imagine how we thought the future would be. And I think in 2006, there were probably a bunch of MMA fans still hot off the... The Ultimate Fighter premiere and all that that big boost that MMA got who were thinking, man, by 2014, this is all ESPN will talk about. It'll be nothing but MMA and the UFC. Well, and, and let's say that this says 2024. Uh, I think that at this point we've reached uh, a, a point in MMA where we kind of have to – at least uh, acknowledge the idea that there's an, it's not going to be one single personality that gets this sport over like Rover, because I think if that were going to happen, it would have already happened, you know, because we've had uh, engaging personalities in the sport before. Like if you wanted to watch somebody who fights like a, a video game character, Anderson Silva has been doing that for years. If you wanted to watch a, a, a sober professional that puts on a suit and goes out there and dominates everyone, you had George St. Pierre. If you want to watch a, a, a guy who's just athletically superior than everyone else that he fights, You've got John Jones. What about now, a Diaz brother and a beautiful fucking well, body? I was just going to say, now you've got Ronda Rousey, and uh, she probably represents the sport's best uh, hope for added mainstream success right now. Uh, I think the only question about her is if she's going stick to stick around long enough to live up to that potential. Yeah, I agree with you that it's not – we've seen people do their, their part uh, to help MMA kind of climb on top. But, again, just like uh, we're always saying that the UFC – succeeds the best when it loads fight cards with a bunch of good fights rather than just doing the boxing model of having one superstar one main event try and sell a fight i think mma as a whole benefits from the same approach i mean the the great thing about this is that it's a regular thing across a bunch of different weight classes that you can follow and really get into uh and so i think it takes takes a village is what i'm saying here 
The next question this week comes to us from Taylor Summers. He writes, as we head into 2014 and year, leave the, quote, year of the super fights that never were behind us, do you think 2014 will be a PPV draw development year? With Kane, GSP, Anderson, and Diaz in various states of absentia, the UFC now has uh, has to look to the Weidmans, Hendrixes, Connets, McDonald's, etc. of the roster to elevate its pay-per-view drawing ability while bolstering existing draws. With that in mind, do you think the the, the decision to have Weidman, Belford, and Vegas is an attempt to build Chris as a U.S. pay-per-view draw in an attempt to address the whole TRT thing? Uh, no, I don't. I'm not gonna. The, the second question, I don't think is is relevant. The first, the first thing I think is absolutely true, though. I think you know I, I've written about it a couple times. I think that 2014, without a lot of those main draws that the UFC has been relying on for years and years, with those guys out of the picture, I think it's going to be kind of a rebuilding year for the UFC. And uh, that's one of the things that makes me wonder if you know around the middle of the year we will see the UFC uh, shell out big money to make stuff happen like Ronda Rousey versus Cyborg Santos, and uh, you know if they'll try to close out the year uh, with a bang with my crazy 2014 year-end prediction of Anderson Silva versus George St. Pierre. Uh, I think it's going to be kind of a down year for them unless one of these new uh, champions kind of catches fire unexpectedly. Uh, and I think you th- you could see the the UFC start to, uh, to feel like it needs to do something a bit drastic to try to uh, pad the pockets a little bit. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that because it, you on paper you look at this and you do see a lot of the those – reliable workhorses of the the pay-per-view stable just aren't there anymore uh and you're either going to have to invest some time and energy into building up new ones or kind of change your your model a little bit i mean i think the the fight pass thing might be one indication that the ufc realizes that 10 years from now you're probably not going to survive doing just a a pay-per-view business um that if you can have something like this where somebody who even maybe doesn't get cable TV anymore has gotten rid of that as a lot of a lot of the hip youngsters are doing if you give them this option where hey give us one fee and you can just kind of follow all our stuff I mean I think that kind of program is going to get more and more popular and then you don't have to rely so much on some one person or one fight motivating people to shell out one big fee all at once uh, but I don't know I mean I think one of the things the UFC is pretty good at is uh, recognizing the 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 talent that people get energetic about that and looking for that wherever it is on the roster, finding it and, and doing a pretty good job to promote it. I mean, because there are, there are some exciting fighters on there, but then it's such an unpredictable sport, man, six months into the year, you could have damn near everybody worth a shit hurt. It, it happens, you know, uh, next question here. This one, I, okay. I, I've heard this from a few people. So let's read this one. This is from Travis Swaninger. Have you tried to cancel your Fight Pass subscription? I'm asking because as of now, it's easier to just cancel your motherfucking credit card. You have to email some guy that doesn't help, just gives you a consulting number for some other support guy that doesn't reply at all. I've had less shady dealings with online sellers that only accept cash via snail mail for fuck's sake. I've heard this. Boom, vindication. (laughs) Old man Dundas doesn't want to get out his credit card. No, I've heard this from a few different people who have said that it is really difficult to to cancel your Fight Pass subscription, which is probably not a great sign if they're already trying, but uh, also heard from a couple people that they were getting charged like the individual 99 cent fees per fight that they watched, which is how the old USC library thing would do it, is that you could buy individual fights for 99 cents. Um, And... They were getting charged anyway, even though it was supposed to be, you know, free trial period where you can kind of do whatever the hell you want. 
uh, and we're not not getting a satisfactory answer from anyone at the UFC about why this was happening or where they're going to get their fucking money back. Which made me, of course, go immediately and check and see if it was happening to me because I've watched already a bunch of fights on there and I didn't want to look on there and see like a $75 bill just because I had to see Matt Hughes, Frank Trigg 2 again. Uh, but no, it hasn't happened to me yet. But I, I, I think stuff like this is that's where you're really going to uh, run afoul of MMA fans if you're the UFC. Because you can do the thing where like, okay, you don't have the full library up there. It doesn't seem like the product is totally ready uh, for what you said it was going to be when you first announced it. People will give you some time there. They'll give you a little leeway to fix that. But if they start to suspect that you're just trying to get a hold of their credit card number so you can dick them around, Which people are going to get mad. Which is what I suspected at the start, right? <laughs> it seems like the kind of thing where they're hoping you'll forget to cancel your membership. Well, okay. Well, that, I mean, that's a legitimate business model as no, gyms across no, the country no, no, have found no, out. No. That, that hoping that you will just forget that you pay for it. I mean, there's tons of services out there, especially on the internet, that that operate in that fashion. That, hey, once you're paying for it, it's just part of your monthly budget. You don't even think about where the money's going anymore. I, I don't really blame them for that. But if people are actively trying to cancel and you're making it difficult on them, yeah, then you seem like you're kind of a scam artist. I still think the first part's shady. Uh, let's do one more, and then we'll do Master Tweet Theater. Uh, this one comes from Matt Pack. If Anderson Silva ends up returning, he'll be doing so after back-to-back losses and an extended absence. And who else has had back-to-back losses and an extended absence? Plus, has repeatedly asked to fight Anderson Silva. One, Nicholas Diaz. That's who. Would you be excited to watch this fight or unbearably excited to watch this fight in all caps and then discuss? I'd be unbearably excited to watch that fight, but I still don't think it's as cool as... uh, Anderson Silva against George St. Pierre, like like I predicted last week. Which is starting to seem like a less and less insane prediction. No, you know, I think uh, that's the thing. I first thought of it like when we were supposed to be doing our predictions for 2014 uh, for Bleacher Report. I was like, oh, I could predict Anderson Silva versus George St. Pierre for the year end. Not that that would happen, but it would make kind of a funny prediction to do. And then I was like, well, you know what? Actually, when you start thinking about it, it probably makes more sense now than it has ever made, you know, in the last couple of years after, since the initial uh, – questions about whether or not there was going to be a super fight and whether the the initial excitement for a super fight kind of died down because now they're both coming off these extended breaks. You know, St. Pierre just had this really close fight with Johnny Hendricks that a lot of people think thought that he lost. Anderson Silva's uh, uh, unbeatable aura has kind of been shattered by Chris Weidman. So I think it makes a lot more sense than, than it used to. I realize that it's kind of a uh, uh, an out-of-the-box prediction, but I would also take Anderson Silva versus uh, Nick Diaz. Why yeah. not? I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with a fight for one Nicholas Diaz that I would not be into. That's true. Uh, but it seems like, man, he doesn't want it. Look, let's leave him alone. Leave him alone. Let's let Nick Diaz call us, MMA world. Let's stop speculating about fights that we could get him into. He yeah. doesn't want it. Like Nicholas Diaz hasn't already lost our number. Uh, let's do uh, <laughs> Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then we'll, we'll move into Master Tweet Theater for this week. What What's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, Chad, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but... Uh, it seems that you remember when uh, Diego Brandao and uh, Dustin Poirier had a little kind of tiff at the, the weigh-ins. Do I? We uh, talked about it last week. That's right. Uh, and uh, Dustin Poirier said that it was as a result of Diego Brandao threatening to stab him in the neck. Uh, and then, lo and behold, I see today on MMA Fighting uh, a story from Guillermo Cruz where Diego Brandao is pretty much like, yeah, I did that. I did threaten to stab him in the neck. Um, but he threatened to stab him with a pen, which I guess he thinks is somehow like, well, it's not as bad. It's not like I threatened him with a knife. I was just going to threaten him with a pen. Um, but that's not even my are you fucking kidding me. 
My Are You Fucking Kidding Me has to do with Diego Brandel kind of explaining it um, and saying that when he, the reason he threatened him was because, quote, every time he saw me at the hotel, he kept staring at me. And I responded, asked, what was the problem? If he looking like that because he was hungry or what? When he got inside the cage, I saw he was scared. He got lucky. You fucking kidding me, man? You pretty much admitted that you weren't really prepared for this fight, that you, you missed weight, didn't even really get close on that. Then you threatened the dude. Then he came out there and beat your ass. And then he's the one who's scared and got lucky. Are you fucking kidding me? Have you even watched the fight? Are you fucking kidding me? That's shades of the Vitor Belfort. I totally would have won if I hadn't gotten knocked out after the Anderson Silva fight. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Ben, this week, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me has to go out to Tito Ortiz, uh, or, you know, as, as I assume the California State Patrol is currently calling him, Jacob Christopher Ortiz, uh, who was arrested early this, or early Monday morning on suspicion of, uh, of DUI. It was, uh, 4.37 a.m. when they picked Tito Ortiz up after he ran his, uh, Porsche into a center line median divider on the California, uh, freeway. Uh, so first of all, Ben, my are you fucking kidding me is that Tito Ortiz is 38 years old. Mm-hmm. Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, it's four nights after New Year's Eve. Are you fucking kidding me? If you didn't get your party in done then, I don't know. You, you missed the boat, man. It's too late now to go. Oh, that's amateur night. Re- retroactively go out and get your party on now. <laughs> Number three, Tito Ortiz is a dad. Are you fucking kidding me? You're out at 437 in the morning. Uh, you've been out on Sunday night drinking. And my, my, my second, or my last, are you fucking kidding me? Tito Ortiz's birthday is in two weeks. Just wait for that, man. So you're saying to go that out. would be the time to yes, hit a Sunday night. Yes, that's when you get your DUI, your 39th birthday. You don't get it on a Sunday night right after New Year's. I feel like there's some conflicting points in that. Are, are you fucking, fucking kidding, kidding me? Okay. Anyway, that's going to do it uh, for Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week. We're going to have Sir Nigel Longstock come in and do a rendition of Master Tweet Theater, and then we'll be back with more of your listener mail. But right now, Master Tweet Theater, it starts right now. that time again after a lengthy vacation doing god knows what sir nigel longstock noted theatricalist and friend of the podcast has returned to the show for a segment we like to call master tweet theater sir nigel it's been a while good day to you sir it certainly has so what correctional facility were you vacationing in ah ha ha it is to laugh i was in fact taking a siesta for my health in beautiful los angeles Really? I thought you couldn't go back there. You know, as a, as a successful entertainer, I rarely have cause to go to Los Angeles. True. But I do try to get there and keep an eye on the town, <laughs> see what the trends are. Well, uh, I, I assume you brought many such trends back to us. Uh, for those of you who don't know how this works, Sir Nigel is going to read us off some tweets from various figures in the MMA sphere. Chad and I are going to try and guess who tweeted what. Uh, and, uh, you know, I assume that somewhere in there, War Machine will do something fucking ridiculous. Yes, you know, it's funny you should mention that, because this week's Master Tweet Theater has a theme. Oh, good. And it relates to some bad news in the MMA community. Oh, no. Yes, it seems that alert readers, and and I say here several alert readers, (laughs) sent me news items suggesting that War Machine and Christy Mack had briefly broken up. Oh, no. 
Well, I, that's a tragedy. That seems like a tragedy for everyone except Christy Mack. No, for that, <laughs> for best it, thing that could ever happen to Christy. Yeah, Mack. for whom it is excellent news. Yes. Well, regardless of what's going on with those two, it, you know, it got me thinking about the the transience of life and how love or whatever emotion War Machine can feel might just go away. And so, the theme of this week's Master Tweet Theater is the way we were. Huh. Okay, and it will be for listeners to judge how well Sir Nigel manages to stick to that theme. Whenever you're ready. <clears throat> well, I assure you, all these tweets are about or originate in the past. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Tweet the first. One good thing about my arm being completely numb is that I can give myself an amazing stranger. Hmm. Uh, for those who don't know, Chad, the stranger, would you care to explain that one? Uh, no, not at all. You don't know what it is, do you? Uh, no. Yes, you do. I was trying to tease you grade school-wise into talking about it. Uh, it's where it's where you masturbate with a, a appendage that you can't feel what? for one reason or another. Dear God, sir, how would you come across this knowledge? <laughs> how would you not come across this knowledge? Especially <laughs> just coming from Los Angeles, a den of iniquity as it is. See, that's, that's why I always make sure to masturbate with your mom's hand. Because I cannot... It's the... St- Stranger, I can't. I see what you did there. She can't feel it either. (laughs) Well, okay, so we're looking, I guess, at somebody who injured their arm or something recently? Who injured their arm, Chad? Um, I actually think this is Ryan Bader. I saw that somebody tweeted this last week, um, and I remember thinking that it was uh, someone that you wouldn't expect to tweet a masturbation uh, tweet, because normally Ryan Bader only does, like, what supplements he's taken and, like, the... uh, Whatever pharmaceutical companies are paying him to pimp their uh, their supplements, their, and how their, he either just got back or is headed to the gym, yeah. stuff like that. Yes, and in other words, he's a fighter with a Twitter account. Yeah. So you're saying Ryan Bader? Um, you know, I'm gonna say Chris Lieben. Hmm. I'm not gonna explain it at all. Both fine guesses. Both men likely to go numb while masturbating. Only one correct. Ryan Bader. Damn it. It's yeah. him. No, I think he, maybe he tried to delete it, but someone had already screenshotted it. <laughs> the worst thing you can do is try and back away from a tweet like that. You gotta own it. No, it's just out there. We can't escape the past, sir. <clears throat> tweet the second. You'll never get to the next great moment unless you keep going. So that's what I do. I keep going. Good night. Okay, uh, a good night sign off. I don't suppose you could give us the time of the good night sign off. What you kind know, of day it was, it was? It was fairly early, but I don't know for sure. I'm going to say that's the poet Philip Baroni. See, that's what I thought too, uh, poet Philip Baroni. Even though more maybe a more subdued tweet from him yeah. than we're used to. Uh, you know what? Because of her proclivity to tweet good morning and good night messages, I'm going to guess Ariane Celeste Benchamol. Uh, Cruz, Stamos, Estrada. Yeah, no, I mean uh, that is not a bad guess. Also, both fine guesses, both well grounded in deduction, but only one correct. It is the poet Philip Baroni. Boom, ah. one one. A regular good nighter on Twitter. Almost every night he says good night. <laughs> well, that's how you know it's time to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Philip Baroni is all tuckered out. He will also tell you whenever he poops. <laughs> mm. Tweet the third. Let me tell you, that Veronica Vaughn is one piece of arse. I know from experience, if you know what I mean. At Invicta Fights, at Veronica Fights, at Shannon Knapp. Okay, so somebody who thinks it's hilarious to quote, what is that, from uh, Billy Madison? I have no idea. 
Uh, it is, right? From Anchorman? Oh, Billy Man? I don't even know. I'm pretty sure it's from Billy Madison. I think it's the Chris Farley bus driver character from Billy Madison. read, sir. (laughs) Of course. Well, you read the novelization of Billy Madison, (laughs) of course, right? Of course. Yeah. But tweeting it at uh, some fighters and Invicta. uh, Oh, man. That seems ill advised. Uh, So, we already said Baroni. And that don't feel like that's a war machine. Can I go Chris Liebman again? <laughs> no, you know what? I'm going to say Matt Mitrione. Mm, interesting. Now, I don't know the joke, so is Piece of Arse, is that part of... That's part of the joke. Okay, because I was going to no, say... No, not, that's not regional. Uh, I was going to say maybe Conor McGregor, because he had already got himself in some trouble. Uh, Could be Conor McGregor. I'm going to go ahead and say Conor McGregor, because I don't know. Both fine guesses, both as usual wrong. It is Uriah Faber. Oh. Yeah, using arse, I guess, just to spice it up a little. Well, that's, that's actually in the fucking movie, you guys. I keep trying to explain. This. We're is, all going to have to sit down and watch this together. What is this movie <laughs> of which you speak? Just move on. Hmm. Tweet the fourth. Age doesn't necessarily equate to wisdom and experience. Some people live the same day over and over. Oh, wow. That's some deep shit. That is some deep shit. Well, the voice helps. You know what? I'm going to say that's Rich Franklin. Interesting. I'm going to go Randy Couture here because you actually you kind of tipped me off by saying Rich Franklin because we know Both Couture recent. has been in the Master yeah. Tweet Theater selections a lot lately. Both recent favorites of Sir Nigel. My God, Mr. Folks is on fire. Wow. It is Rich Franklin. Boom! 2-1! Waxing philosophical. Damn it. Best you can do is tie here, Chad. <clears throat> well, let us see. <laughs> Tweet the fifth. The ability to not give a fuck will always help you come out on top. <laughs> oh, I'm guessing War Machine on that one. I'm saying War Machine too. It is. It is War Machine. He doesn't care about anything. That's why he's so successful. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be where I was going to go next. Is So is he on top right now or is he still giving too much of a fuck? Well, uh, he doesn't even know. That's how little fuck he gives. Well, all right. Um, you know... Either way, that one actually has panned out. Best of luck to Christy Mack out there. Yeah, I think we're all happy to see her, you know, finally get her life in order. Well, Sir Nigel, uh, I guess that about does it. What have you got going on this week? You know, it's funny you should ask, sir. I'm working on an exciting new film. It's the story of a group of crazy dreamers drunk on cool jazz and beatnik poetry who take a long trip to a roadhouse in rural Missouri where they get beat down by the bouncer who knows karate. Uh Uh-huh. What's it called? It's called On the Roadhouse. And what role do you play? I play Kung Fu Allen Ginsberg, sir. <laughs> yeah, I think you also play that one in real life. Well, that was Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock. Good day, sir. Ben, coming out of my embarrassing defeat at Master Tweet Theater, I feel like the only pertinent question to use as a follow-up is this one 
from Jeremy Thompson. He writes, okay, here it goes. Am I the only one who thinks the whole Sir Nigel Longstock character seems weird and out of place on the CME? I like the Master Tweet Theater game, mind you. I often find myself playing along and laughing my ass off. I also understand that you need a third person to ask the questions for the game to work. But why such a weird gimmick? It just seems at odds with your approach to the rest of the podcast. I know the way you named the game suggests it should have a a hoity-toity air to it, but maybe you should have just picked a different name instead of creating a character to fit? No offense to Sir Nigel intended, by the way. I'm sure he's a decent guy. Now, see, we couldn't read this while Sir Nigel was here because he would fly off the fucking handle. Yeah, you don't want to see him lose it, man. He will cut you. He will straight up fucking cut you. I also feel like Jeremy Thompson kind of talked himself out of this argument while he was writing his own email. (laughs) Just like he kind of explains all the other all the arguments for Sir Nigel while he's he's writing his question. But I'm going to say this. And I find this fascinating that the people on the Internet cannot just let Sir Nigel be. It's, it, from day one of this show, there's always been a haters. A, there's always been haters. There's always been a, a swirling cloud of suspicion around Sir Nigel. A lot of people tried to say it was me early on. For, I don't even understand where this idea of Sir Nigel being a quote unquote character and not a real dude that we both know. Uh, originated. I don't understand why people can't just let Sir Nigel be, you know, like uh, the Loch Ness monster or something. It's like a mythical beast. So you're just let him run free in the meadow like a mighty unicorn. Is that what you think that we have done with the Loch Ness monster? Is let him be? Because it seems like they're like that's the opposite of what people have done with that one. Fair point. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, I mean, I guess my basic reaction is uh, fuck you. It's awesome. Uh, I think it's kind of hilarious. Uh, and, uh, if you don't like that part, it happens like every other week and it's like 10 minutes long. You can skip through it. In all seriousness, we should say that we know that Sir Nigel Longstock's not for everybody. And that's one of the reasons why we, we, we only do it once every other week. Also because it would probably be unfair for us to have Sir Nigel Longstock come in every week for free, uh, and, and devote his time to, to Master Tweet Theater. But, uh, you know, some people love Sir Nigel. Some people hate Sir Nigel. That's just the way it is, man. That's just uh, the reality of the situation. Yeah. And I like that he generates so much controversy and speculation. That's right. Like the Loch Ness Monster. It's all for ratings. 100% for ratings. Um, okay. I'm going to read one from this. Uh, we, we have our th- questions separated into two batches here. Uh, I'm going to read one from the, the earlier bats that we have not even yet broken into. Um, this is from Mike W. Y'all aren't real fond of Vitor Belfort. I oh, get Jesus. it. How, why, I knew that you were just going to pick this one out of the, I, I, out of the fish. Because pail. it has some points I want to address, goddammit. All right. Y'all aren't real fond of Vitor Belfort. I get it. But can we calm down? Let me stem the five-minute TRT rant from Mr. Folk. Yeah, five minutes. Good please. luck. Please. Good luck. Like I'll limit myself to five minutes. If possible, and say everyone agrees except the people who matter, TRT ought to be done away with. But in the meantime, I think we're failing to recognize people are being tested and caught with unfair levels. This means, as a worst case, Belfort is using a technique technicality to use treatment to avoid the consequences of past steroid use, which may very well be unfair, but it is categorically not the same as Lance Armstrong or Barry Bonds turning themselves into superheroes. It feels at times like the man is being pictured as a test tube child of Satan with a Faustian bargain for spinning back kicks. I don't particularly like the guy or approve of what he's doing, but I also have a hard time hearing what feels like hyperbole everywhere. Now, the reason I want to address this is because I people say this to me like on Twitter and stuff because 
you know, I'm very vocal about my opposition to the TRT thing, and I think it's totally insane. And Vitor Belfort is the most successful user of it, so he uh, ends up taking a, a lot of that criticism. And they frame it again the way this question started off, as if, like, why are you hating on Vitor? Why don't you like Vitor? Why do you hate Vitor so much? And get no problem with Vitor as a person. He seems like a fine dude. He seems like he really believes that that what he's doing is perfectly fine and that he's playing within the rules and all that. Um, I just think that 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 rule is completely insane. It's not against Vitor. It's a, and it's also not the thing of like, hey, uh, he's he hasn't been caught with extremely high levels, therefore we have to give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, he has been caught on steroids before. And now he's doing this, which, you know, is kind of like giving him a, a pass to erase the consequences of past steroid use. So I don't really think that our argument holds. I mean, I know we, the UFC says, hey, we're testing the shit out of these guys to make sure that they're never up. But we don't know what the UFC is doing. And come on, what do you think would happen if the UFC was doing their tests on the camp? Especially, like, let's say, you know, four weeks before his fight with Chris Weidman, they test Vitor unannounced. He comes up way too high. Do you think the UFC is going to say, that's it, fight's off, Vitor fucked it up for everybody, everybody out of the pool? No, man, hell no, the UFC is not going to do that. The UFC is going to call Vitor up and be like, hey, man, get your shit together because the Athletic Commission might be coming by later and it's not going to be just us next time. Look, you know that would happen. Come on. Seriously. Are you done? I guess I'm done. All right. You're not, not going to say anything, huh? The next question comes this week from <laughs> Huey Clark. He writes, who do you both think will be the champion in each division in the UFC at the start of 2015? Uh, this sounds like a long-winded question, but I'm not sure it has a long-winded answer. I don't, I don't know that you're going to see a ton of title changes next year in the UFC. Uh, uh, most notably because Cain Velasquez is out till the end of the year. So, uh, unless they strip him, he's probably not losing to anybody. Uh, you know, uh, Ronda Rousey may fight once or twice this year. She's got Sarah McMahon coming up in February, which I think will be a tough, tough fight for her, but I think also a winnable fight for her. Um, and then, you know, you've got the rest of the pack. I don't know if, uh, if, uh, I see guys like Demetrius Johnson, Henan Burrow, Jose Aldo, uh, Anthony Pettis, uh, losing to anybody this year. Yeah. I think, uh, the, I guess the best chance for the belt to just get passed around a bunch in the next year is in welterweight, which seems like right now just prepared to be the most fun division because of the the wide open status. It seems like, you know, you could have it do the thing that uh, we always used to complain about, like heavyweight or, or light heavyweight doing where uh, no one can hold the belt long enough to really cement themselves as a real champion. I don't know. I feel like welterweight could use a little bit of that right now. Yeah, that might that might be interesting. I also feel like middleweight has the potential to be exciting just because Chris Weidman has been dominant in all the fights that he's had, but he's still a guy that only has 10 or 11 fights. So uh, I don't know that we've 100% seen his entire character play out in in the cage, and he's got some some tough fights coming up. I think uh, depending on which version of Vitor Belfort shows up, that could be kind of a nightmare of a fight uh, for Chris Weidman. And, and if he beats that one, he's still got a ton of tough dudes uh, lining up right behind Belfort uh, at 185, you know, the, uh, you got Machida down there. Now you got Jacare Souza who looks a thousand times better every time we see him. So uh, I think middleweight will be interesting. And I also think uh, welterweight, like you said, will be interesting to see how that one plays out also. Okay. Here's uh, another uh, fight pass one. 
Uh, this one from Josh Montgomery, who writes, I just wanted to email you guys and add your thoughts on the UFC Fight Pass. I signed up for it and searched for a few fights that I've been wanting to see again. To my dismay, none of the first few I looked for were on there. Penn Edgar 1 was my first choice. Really? That's your first choice? Uh, since I saw it live drunk at a Buffalo Wild Wings around noon and see, haven't I seen it again since. perfectly understandable. There you that go. You that is, go that is actually that maybe the best reason to want to go see that one again. I was pretty disappointed at the selection overall. As far as the Netflix for the fight fan sales pitch goes, my thoughts on that, I am a Netflix subscriber. To me, it is the original, or I guess, stuff I have never seen programming that draws me in, like full seasons of TV shows and documentaries. Of course, there's a lot of stuff on there I have seen a ton of times, and it's convenient to push a button to stream Reservoir Dogs instead of the hassle of walking five to six feet and bending at the knees to put my Blu-ray of it into the PS3. But that's not why I subscribe. Hence the problem with Fight Pass. I've seen 97% of all the UFC fights. I don't want to pay to see them again. It's only a bonus. The original fights is what I need to be sold on, and 6 a.m. fights with dudes I've never heard of isn't tickling my fancy. Okay, I was thinking about a lot of how this is probably going to actually work, uh, the, especially with the original fights, the new fights that are only going to be on Fight Pass, um, because... You know, with the Singapore one, we had talked about before, not a whole lot of guys on there. I know you're really adamant that you don't want anybody to treat it like a real thing because then you might actually have to buy it. That ship has sailed, though, just like I knew it would. <laughs> and a bunch of dudes got online at 6 o'clock in the morning, started live-tweeting that shit. I know. Well, see, that's the thing, right? Okay, because it's, it's a Saturday morning. Saturday is usually my off day unless you know I'm working an event, and this one was not considered a big event that I had to work. So... I'm going to try and sleep in a little bit. I'm basically going to sleep in as long as my daughter allows. Like, there's no way I'm waking up at 4 a.m., uh, you know, if she's going to sleep until 8. That fucking madness. I would right. never do that. Which, and I I don't, don't mean to cut you off, but, like, uh, I asked you this last week. I was like, isn't the point of Fight Pass and having shit on the Internet so that you can watch it whenever you want to, right? right. It's on demand. You can watch it. You don't have to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to watch it live. You could watch it at noon, Yes. You can watch it at noon after you go out to have your hangover breakfast at Buffalo Wild Wings, and you come <laughs> yes. home. Do they do breakfast at Buffalo Wild Wings? I have Wild no Wings? idea. Okay. I've never been to a Buffalo Wild Wings. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, well, to me, what happened was, you know, I roll out of bed around 7 or 8 in the morning, uh, and I look at my phone, and there's people on Twitter talking about what's going on in the Singapore fight card, and then you would, you'll know, you'll catch a little snippet. It's like, oh, this guy looked awesome, or this, this was a good fight, or this was a, you know, people were talking about Kawajiri's post-fight speech or something, you know. So it's one of those things where you're like, oh, okay, well, so you're saying that was worth watching? Okay, well, I'll go and look that up then, you know, at my leisure. Uh, and I actually turned it on in time to see the the main event live, uh, but. You know, and even that was convenient to be able to pause, get up, go refill my coffee, come back, pick it right back up again. Although there is that issue whenever you're streaming something, you know, over the Internet where like, oh, here's one guy going for an ankle lock. And then the stream freezes. And when it starts back in a few seconds later, the other dude has his back. And I'm like, well, I have no idea how the hell that happened. But it is convenient to be able like, OK, I heard this, this fight was worth watching. Let me go check it out. I mean, they could do some things with the platform to make it easier for people to actually look that. Because if I hear Kawajiri had a good fight, man, within 24 hours of the event, I ought to be able to go there, type Kawajiri into the search field and have that shit pop up just right. as an individual fight. You got to have the you fights. You can't do that. Really? See, there you go again. Another thing I don't like about it. You got to have the fights a la carte on there. Yeah. So that people can go on there and watch uh, Tarek Safadine if they want to or watch Kawajiri or, or you know, see, watch the actual UFC fighters who are getting tricked into being on these cards. Well, see, that's what I think is actually going to happen with this and the UFC has to be prepared to make the most of it uh, if they want this thing to work is that 
people like you are going to be like, I'm not going to sign up for Fight Pass because I'm an asshole and I want to pay for everything in checks. Uh, no, man, I'm not going <laughs> to hey, sign hear up. Hear me out. Hear me out. God damn it. Uh, people aren't going to do it. And then they're going to hear, like, you're going to, you know, you're going to skip the, the Manawa Gustafson fight and then it's going to turn out to be awesome or something. You know, maybe not that one, but some fight somewhere along the line. You know, it's going to happen. People are going to be talking about how you got to see this fucking fight. It's insane. And then, all right. You break down and you go and you do it because you because the the word of mouth gets around to you. I think that's how this is going to work. But the thing is, it needs to be so that, like right now, if you want to find that the stream of that event on the Fight Pass website, it's fucking hard to do. Like that's the thing you need to have right out. It should be the very first thing. Like that, I can't click anything without accidentally clicking that. Instead, you end up watching a bunch of hype videos for it that you think you're clicking on the actual stream of the the event. Like. It's completely missing how this is going to work functionally for the users. Sounds better and better the more you talk about it. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing about Fight Pass is that I don't hate the idea uh, overall. I think it's a good idea if as long as it's an it-is-what-it-is style situation. And what it is is the UFC putting on a bunch of events that are not UFC quality events because they want to go have all these regional events overseas because they want to spread their, their brand over there. And that's fine. And But along with that is that there shouldn't be an expectation that that fans in other parts of the world are going to watch those fights because they're just not relevant to anything. And I think if, if really, really hardcore fans of the support that have uh, personal problems, they don't have anything else to do. Want to wake up at six o'clock in the morning and watch (laughs) a fight card from Singapore where you haven't heard of any of the guys who are fighting. That's fine. They should have that option, but we shouldn't act like it's must see TV. We shouldn't act like everybody is supposed to watch it. And that is an onus that, that falls on the MMA media, frankly, because the UFC is going to act like we're supposed to watch this shit. Because they're trying right. to sell it to us. They're trying to come to our house with it with cut code knives and cut a rope in half and get our mom to buy a set of steak knives. That's what they're trying to do, <laughs> right? Uh, it's up to the MMA media to say, look, man, we're not going to cover everything you do just because you slap your brand on it. There's a misconception, I think, both among fans, but also maybe among some people that work in the in the media that that as MMA media people, we're supposed to cover everything that the UFC does. That we're supposed to cover every fight. That's just not the case. One of the like the major responsibilities of being a journalist is having a, a good sense of news judgment, being the gatekeeper for what, you know, what you tell people is important and what you tell people isn't important. And uh, if we go through the entire year pretending like these uh, B-list off-brand fight pass cards are important, I might lose my fucking mind, even though I already know that that's going to happen. So I should be mentally preparing myself for it. You know, I see what you're saying. And it is it does create a weird situation because it's different than something like the NFL, where there's, you know, the NFL has their games, you know who the NFL teams are, you know what really matters in the NFL, and then they've got, like, NFL Europe, which right. everybody knows does not matter. Like, it's just for the dudes playing in it to, like, you know, as a development league for them to get in the NFL and for the NFL to try and convince some people in Frankfurt to go see a goddamn American football game. Like, and so that's fine, it's pretty clear, but the UFC is, is a different kind of, like, roaming product to begin with, and has for a long time gotten by on, hey, uh, you don't know how good guys are in those other organizations because they haven't fought in the UFC yet. However, anybody who fights in the UFC, we slap that logo on the gloves, put them in there, and suddenly they're a UFC fighter. And we've seen in the last couple of years that the phrase UFC caliber uh, doesn't really mean anything. You can, depending on where the fight card is and what your needs are at the time, you know, what holes you might have to fill at what weight classes, anybody could be a UFC caliber fighter. Uh, 
it, that doesn't like necessarily translate to any like real value. And so it is going to become a difficult thing. I think what's going to happen though is that the ultimate like arbiter of that kind of stuff is for websites, uh, is going to be web traffic. Like if people realize that nobody is clicking on these Singapore stories, nobody, nobody's reading this, that, that people, if the fans just don't give a shit, then people will stop investing resources and covering it. All right. Uh, the next question this week comes from Harry P. So make your own jokes about that one. Uh, <laughs> he writes, what's the deal with the UFC way in music? It's been the same weird collection of musical samplings for so long. And why? How is this stuff chosen? Do you think the UFC should do a CME style music contest to determine future way in music selections? I mean, it's going to have to change at some point, right? <laughs> Uh, can you please talk about this? I guess, man. Uh, yes, frankly, I do think the UFC should do a listener, uh, generated music contest. And I assume that the UFC weigh in music has been the same for so long because it's free, right? Yeah. It's just like, uh, 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 public domain heavy metal music that they found and they like the Hardy boys theme song from WWE and they throw it on the, under the background of the, uh, of the weigh-ins. And probably rightly figured who gives a shit. Right. <laughs> like, who is really thinking about the weigh-in music that much? I guess maybe the mistake is that is using the same generic rock music uh, for the weigh-in stuff because then, like, people will kind of notice it and just be like, oh, wait, this crap again? Uh, maybe the, the key would be mixing it up a little bit more. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's not like I go to a UFC weigh-in expecting to be wowed by the music selection in the first place. But that's just me. well. If you, and if you go to a UFC weigh-in, chances are you've sat there for half an hour before it started and watched the same ten-minute video package of of uh, uh, canned interviews, highlights, and uh, and whatever god awful song they've chosen to be the theme of that event. You know, maybe four or five times played at just ear-splitting volume. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, next question comes from Paul P. Uh, a lot of a lot of P stuff going on Probably out there. In the same family. Yeah, I would think. Let's just assume that. Your friend's son or daughter wants to be an MMA fighter when they grow up. They don't mind concussions and just want to bang, bro. What sports and martial arts do you tell them to practice in order to be competitive in the sport 10 to 15 years from now? I assume you'll tell them to cheat. Do you tell them to find a, fr a TRT-friendly doctor? Well, first I tell them to find the biggest prick wrestling coach that you can possibly find in your neighborhood. Sign that kid up and just have him go crazy for the next 15 years. I mean, this is my neighbor's kid, so I don't really care about the brain damage aspect right. uh, of the pro fighting career. I just, I'm trying to help him get as big as possible. Well, I think it's an interesting question. The, what do you tell them to do to be competitive in the sport 10 to 15 years from now? Uh, because it does kind of require you to think about not what current fighters, like what path they've taken, but how the sport might change and how you'll want to be prepared for it. Uh, going ahead. I still do think that if you had to choose like one sport to focus on as like a base, um, that, uh, and then, you know, to add to stuff like that, add on to that base later on, yeah, you're probably better off going with wrestling. And it does seem to teach a, uh, you know, that kind of grind attitude and mental toughness, uh, that will serve you well in the fight game or just make you decide that, uh, you don't really want to bang bro after all and make you fucking quit. Uh, but it, it made me think about, uh, I had a story up today on, on Dean Thomas and I was talking to him about one of the reasons he was retiring now and he made a point, which I couldn't disagree with, that, uh, since MMA is still such a new sport, one of the things that has made older guys like him rethink their place in it is the developments that have happened, like how it used to be. A good was, con a dude was considered good on the ground at a certain level. If he had amateur boxing level standing, 
you know, amateur boxing level standing, purple belt on the ground, you're a pretty solid all-around fighter there, you know? You know one or two takedowns, boom. Like, you can go pretty far on that. And now, not only are there better athletes in it, but, like, the development and, and the application of different skills uh, has changed so much that, like, it's not uncommon if you were, like, a 21-year-old Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt um, who also has a few amateur kickboxing fights. I mean, that is not at all uncommon in today's MMA, whereas 10 years ago, kind of unheard of. Like, so it does seem like because of the, the MMA's status, like, some of that is going to change. We're still in that development period. Yeah, and I think that the biggest change that you're going to see as we move from this generation of MMA fighters, which is, has already, like, continued the evolution of this sport at, at a kind of a breakneck pace, I think is going to be the, uh, the introduction of just more world class athletes. Uh, because we've already seen that start to happen, you know, the, the, uh, unfortunately, the old adage of the, uh, of the of the martial arts uh sensei where it's not going to matter if you're a great athlete as long as you have perfect technique and 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 track and practice all of your all of your uh katas over and over again right. and yeah, discipline that ain't, that ain't true know how to count to 10 in japanese yeah you're going to get a uh you know if the sport continues to get bigger and probably most importantly the paydays continue to go up uh you're going to see a lot more guys who are just flat out great athletes get in, get involved in the sport because right now we're still not all the way there yet. You know, if you're a, if you're a guy who's going to cut to 185 and maybe you're 190 or 210 pounds, there's probably other stuff you can do if you're that good of an athlete. You know, you can, uh, if you're good enough to play in the NFL or, or, uh, uh, you know, the NBA, although that would be a pretty tall middleweight, yeah. I guess, uh, but I mean, they're probably going to go do that is yeah, my point. And those sports being as they are, uh, entrenched in like schools and stuff, get their hooks into kids way easier and don't come with that stigma. I mean, even if, you know, hey, you can still, mess up your brain playing high school football uh it still feels like more of a all-american pastime than uh say you know punching each other in the head as a teenager so yeah that that, that is true but uh i do agree just in general though that we already are seeing the the kind of what can happen if you get athletes in there that have started it a lot younger uh and then the next thing you know they're doing shit that you know we haven't seen before, which then has a ripple effect on everybody else. Everybody has to adjust and you kind of see new stuff. And we've seen it all throughout MMA where, Hey, now suddenly, you know, taking a dude down, working inside his guard, bring him over to the, to the fence at elbow and him in the face was just like, Oh no, how will anybody ever beat that technique? Now? Yeah. People figured it out. That shit happens pretty quickly in MMA. If they hadn't outlawed headbutts though, oh, Mark Coleman would probably still be champion. Uh, from Wayne F., he writes, I know this was discussed once before on the podcast, but now truly seems like the time for Chris Weidman to capitalize on his potential heel turn. With Matt Sarah available to go full-on Paul E. dangerously, which it kind of seems like he already did, uh, <laughs> Weidman can sit back during interviews and declare himself the best in the world, having twice defeated the greatest of all time. He conveniently can make no mention of the broken leg in the second fight. Or an even more a heelish move, simply claim that he broke Anderson Silva's leg. Well, he is doing that, uh, uh, rather than the wrathful nature of the MMA gods. Uh, well, I don't see this happening. It would be the best, would it be the best case scenario for both Weidman and the UFC? If people don't want to see you fight because you're their favorite, why not sell a shitload of pay-per-views because people want to see you lose? Please discuss and thank you. Wow. You know, I've seen this, 
about Chris Weidman kind of going around a lot in the wake of, of his second win. Uh, it seems like there are a lot of people either like posturing, postulating the idea that he should become a hated figure, uh, or that he already is. Like, uh, you know, people are talking about how, uh, him saying that he didn't, that he would feel bad fighting Anderson Silva again was like a heel move or like, I guess he, uh, I didn't see this when it happened live, but wiped his nose with the American flag in the cage after it was over. Yeah. And people were kind of taking issue with that. And then of course you got the thing in the corner. Uh, once again, man, I don't understand why we can't just let Chris Weidman be Chris Weidman and, and we have to like try to heap this, uh, villain persona on him when it's, it doesn't really fit, man. He's just well, a confident dude from uh, Long Island who's just gonna go out to the go beat you up and then go to the clubs, man. Like it's, <laughs> I don't know that he's a villain. I just he's just not that, uh, for lack of a better word, interesting. Well, I I don't know where you come from, but where I come from, confident dude from Long Island who will beat you up and then go to a nightclub is a villain. Uh, <laughs> but I, you know what? I think what this is is people like we want, you know, one star fell. And is replaced by another guy. And so we want that guy to be a star too in some way, even if it's in the opposite kind of way. Uh, you know, I don't, I think what people are responding to is they don't want to think like, okay, just another milk toast wrestler, uh, is replacing Anderson Silva. You want to have, you know, the new guy in that spot be just like as important to our sport as the old guy was. And so, and I think that they're responding to the fact that it does seem like it's really, like Chris Weidman is not going to be a a superstar in in the way that a lot of other guys are. I think it would be way easier for him to go that like, hey, I'm I'm here to I'm here to beat you up, your mama Luca. Like oh, it would wow. be easier for him to do that. Poor, that's just poor, poor, <laughs> poor impression. Well, you know what? My wife was talking about this recently because she was saying how, you know, she'd had no real anything to go on, but just had already decided that she doesn't like Chris Weidman. Well, it seems like a lot of people have made that decision. And what she eventually kind of articulated uh, was that Chris Weidman seems like where a certain kind of New York asshole meets a certain kind of wrestler asshole. Two different types of assholes, uh, and here's like the Venn diagram where they come together, and that's Chris, Chris Weidman's zone. Uh, which he can work with, I think. I agree with you that that personality archetype is is ripe for heelishness. I just don't know that I've seen it from Chris Weidman yet. He just, to me, seems to be kind of boring more than anything else. Well, it? see, so was Chael Sonnen until he took the natural aspects of his personality and then just cranked the volume way up. You heard it here for, first, full people. You heard it here first, folks. Ben Folks says everyone should try to be Chael Sonnen. Well, twisting my words. All right, let's do one more question, uh, and then we'll do just saying stuff, and then we will wrap up for the week. This question comes from Todd Mueller, uh, who writes, I posit that Misha Tate lost her recent bout with Ronda Rousey before she'd even entered the octagon. How? By poking the MMA god square in the eye with her walkout music. Her choice, Katy Perry's Roar, contains the line, I am a champion and you're going to hear me roar. Was this selected as one last jab at the reigning champion? Given that Misha lost the number one contender bout and previously lost to Ronda Rousey, it is unlikely the MMA gods would suffer this hubris lightly. Your insight is warmly appreciated, gents. Uh, first of all, I think the, uh, Misha Tate's selection of a Katy Perry song uh, so reminds us of something I've been trying to say to MMA fighters for a long time, which is don't select the music that you like. Select the music that's going to get people in the arena pumped up when they hear like the opening chords of it. Because man, think about your audience for a second, Misha Tate. Bunch of dudes sitting around in the MGM Grand, 
you know, been drinking all damn day. Katy Perry's roar comes on. Fucking kidding me with that. Yeah, and that's a funny email. I just don't think that, that Misha Tate's walkout music had much to do with her going out there and getting brutalized by Ronda Rousey again just because, you know, Ronda Rousey at this point, uh, just a way, way better athlete and a, a way, way better tactician than, than anybody else that we've seen so far, at least in the UFC 135-pound division. You know, uh, didn't help. Let's say that. No, that's yeah. You're probably right. It, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't. <laughs> it didn't appease the MMA gods in a way that perhaps I don't know ACDC might have. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. But then again, the MMA I, gods love ACDC. Yeah, they do. As much as they hate Eminem. Well, uh, yeah. Let's do uh, just saying stuff, and then we'll uh, we'll get out of here for this week. Uh, ben, this week my just saying stuff actually comes from Fight Pass, even though I haven't signed up for it yet. No, you brother. emailed me today that to say that they have a, in the uh, Fight Library a thing called the Collections, where they have a bunch of uh, current and former UFC greats go through and select uh, different, I guess you would say, playlists of fights yeah. uh, to to put to make available for people who've signed up for Fight Pass. You've got Matt Hughes's uh, Hall of Famers on here. He's got his his top fights. You've got uh, uh, the story of the UFC heavyweight title on here. You got one called Chael Sonnen's American Gangsters, which seems pretty awesome. And you know, to to their credit, most of the guys on here avoided the pitfall of picking a lot of their own fights as their favorites on their playlist. Everybody except current UFC executive Chuck the Iceman Liddell, whose out cold countdown playlist list is only Chuck Liddell fights. Uh, and I guess I'm just saying I hope maybe he misunderstood the instructions here uh, or understood them perfectly. And knows exactly what he's doing and is just like, fuck you. You want to know what Chuck Liddell's favorite fights are? They're Chuck Liddell fights, idiot, of course. <laughs> yeah, just saying. Just saying. Uh, my just saying stuff this week, actually before the Weidman uh, Silva fight, uh, Sean Alshadi from MMA Fighting put together a, a good kind of uh, oral history kind of thing where the, a bunch of the dudes who had fought Anderson Silva in the UFC reflected on the experience kind of before, during, and after the fight. Uh, you know, good insights from a lot of them and, and interesting stuff to hear, uh, especially from guys who, who were in there with the guy during his prime. Uh, one person's account, however, stood out throughout this piece, and it's Stefan Bonner, uh, who, you know, he's describing the fights, uh, describing uh, how well he was doing in the fight, how he was just eating Silva's punches, uh, with no problem, uh, and how he was really, uh, kind of, kind of liking the way things were going, uh, right up until, you know, he got beat, uh, in kind of, uh, dramatic fashion. Here's, here's one to give you an example. I just knew that if I could eat his counter right hand, then I could implement my game plan. I had a good chance of pulling it off. Everything was going according to plan. This is what he's saying about this fight. <laughs> I ate his counter right hand. It was nothing. I was like, I could eat these all night. And there was 30 seconds left in the round. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to win this round. I could do this for two more rounds. I'm just saying either Stefan Bonner has been seriously damaged in the brain area by his career in mixed martial arts, or he has no memory of that fight and still hasn't watched it. I'm just saying, Stefan Bonner has no idea what happened in that fight. Just saying. Just wow, saying. that does seem shocking. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back next week with what I think will probably be a much more uh, 
a return to our normal uh, organization of the show because we got that uh, there's like a Wednesday fight night coming up and then a uh, UFC on Fox show and then we're going to get into UFC 169 and 170 before you know it. Uh, so we'll be fully into the uh, all-out sprint that will be 2014 by next week. Uh, if you have a question, a comment, a concern for the podcast, you can reach us by going to our website, comainevent.com, and clicking the link at the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. As for right now, though, we're done. We're through. We are out. So let me get this straight. Not only does it seem like Stefan Bonner hasn't watched the fight, but he admits that his strategy was to, quote, eat Anderson Silva's counter right hand. And it was going so well, too. That's the thing. So he's in there with Anderson Silva getting punched in the face thinking, I could take this right hand.